1: Outrage over the police killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis has sparked a movement against systemic racism and police brutality in the U.S. and beyond. Here in Chicago, Mayor Lori Lightfoot is facing calls to defund the city's police department and remove officers from schools. She says she plans to implement a series of police reforms by the end of the summer. One person we thought you should hear from during this time is John Catanzara. He's the new president of the Fraternal Order of Police Lodge 7. That's the union that represents twelve thousand rank-and-file CPD officers. We talked with him Tuesday for a little more than 30 minutes. In our interview, he condemned the killing of George Floyd, but pushed back against local calls for police reform. We started with his perspective on Floyd's death at the hands of police.
2: That was not a proper police tactic. There was no excuse for it to go as far as it did.
1: And what he makes of the charges being brought against the other three officers on the scene when Floyd was killed.
2: I don't know that it rises to the level of criminal complicity. I wish they would have spoke up, though. It certainly could have avoided a tragedy.
1: He also stated toward the top of the interview that he believes the Chicago Police Department does not have a problem with systemic racism.
2: Are there always room for tweaks? Sure. But as a whole, I think the premise is faulty from the get-go.
1: Just this morning, in an interview with WGN Canton Zara said, uniformed officers who kneel with protesters could fl- face discipline. so let's listen to more of our conversation with Canton Zara. We'll bring it to you in sections around some big topics like police accountability, community police relations, and how to prevent tragedies like what happened to George Floyd. We'll hear from WBEZ criminal Justice reporter Patrick Smith as we go along, and he joins us now on the line. Hey Patrick Hey Jen. So I started by asking Zara about the four former officers involved in George Floyd's death. Derek Chauvin faces second-degree murder charges, and three officers are charged with aiding and abetting. Let's listen.
2: I definitely was on record from the beginning that that was not a proper police tactic. There was no excuse for it to go as far as it did. You know, if it was a control issue, you could almost excuse the beginning of it, but for it to last as long as it did... Uh, I do believe it did go into the criminal realm.
1: When you watch that video, what did you see at work there? Was this an issue with training or something else?
2: Well, I, from what I understand, just from the outside looking in, those were relatively younger, newer officers with Shelvin, who seemed to be the guy in charge on the scene. You know, regrettably, they, for whatever reason, did not want to challenge what was going on, uh. I think they absolutely should have. I don't know that it rises to the level of criminal complicity uh, uh, along with Chauvin, but that's not my decision to make. I wish they would have spoke up, though. It certainly could have avoided a tragedy.
1: Well, we've seen over a week of protests right here in Chicago and in cities across the world in reaction to the death of George Floyd. People are calling for change in, in policing. Do you believe there's an issue with racism in policing in Chicago? No. So when people point to the investigation by the Department of Justice that found a practice of policing specifically towards black people uh, that was abusive, you disagree with those findings?
2: In large, yes. Are there always room for tweaks? Sure. But as a whole, I think the premise is faulty from the get go.
1: There's Why? over.
2: Well, quite simply, as you stated, there's 13,000 officers in the Chicago Police Department. And I think the the call was, what, 15,000 calls a day on average? And multiply that by a year. Now, how many of those calls result in incidents, anything like this, or even complaints? The vast majority of situations that are handled by CPD are handled professionally, correctly, and done. Even the ones that are questionable. Again, our
1: I'm sorry, can some, you suss that out a little bit? You said even the ones that are questionable are. Could, I need okay, you to uh, explain that.
2: Aside from the, okay, so if the mayor's saying, I believe she said the number was 15,000 calls on average a day. So you multiply that by the 365, I don't even know what that total comes out to be. But the point being, there's a handful of incidents every year that seem to get highlighted, and everybody gets painted with a broad brush because of a handful of, you know, situations. Nobody remembers the other 99% of the calls that were handled for service correctly. They want to focus on the negative, the negative, the negative, or even the perceived negative, even if it's not necessarily what some people are trying to make it to be.
1: But what the 2017 report from the DOJ found was a pattern in practice of civil rights violations. So that means it's not necessarily an officer shooting someone, but it's over-policing. It's detaining people Um, under false premises. It's things that people may not even report. But I hear you saying is that at a fundamental level, you don't feel like there are major reforms that need to happen in the Chicago Police Department.
2: Correct. So with the DOJ study, you went and spoke to groups. Who's going to go speak to those groups except for the disgruntled people? Are you getting information from citizens who are perfectly content, the silent majority, so to speak, who are saying the police treated me fine. No, you're only going to get the people who obviously are going to complain. It's going to skew the study from the get-go.
1: But if the DOJ goes in and they look at the records, the arrest records, the reports of police violence, I, I guess I'm trying to understand how those complaints can be discounted as people just being disgruntled
2: well, who likes to get arrested? That doesn't mean you didn't commit a crime. I mean, there's been a couple, you know, exonerations that have left in question the person's guilt, but just because they said they were tortured and they throw the name John Burge out there, all of a sudden now they're considered 100% accurate and that they were telling the truth the whole time, even though the evidence might point otherwise. People seem to forget that Burge was convicted of lying. Burge was never convicted of torture. I'm not, I'm not here to defend John Burge in any way, shape, or form. I, I don't even have enough. I, that was way before my time. I'm just simply pointing out that the same people who want to say they weren't given a fair shake and we need to change the justice system because of that are now saying that we need to surrender our rights as police officers and our protections and basically give them all up and, and put so ourselves good. in a position that they complained that they were in doesn't make any sense
1: what do you think are the rights of police officers when you are sworn into office as an officer you swear to protect and serve the public what rights do you think officers are being asked to give up
2: we are job protections for one I, I could tell you you know you swear an oath to the Constitution but yet our governor and our mayor saw fit for the better part of two months to violate people's constitutional rights and tell them they had no right to assemble, to go to church, they had to stay home. They had no constitutional right to do that. And Wait, we so were You're talking uh, now about you
1: know, you're talking we, now about the about COVID-19 and the stay correct. at home order. How does that intersect with policing? It sounds like those are two very different things.
2: Well, not at all because we were the enforcement arm of telling people they had to go back inside. They couldn't go to church. They couldn't be in the parks. We we were basically the people tasked with enforcing their unconstitutional order and putting our members in jeopardy yet again. You know, we're we're convenient when they needed to use us for something, but the second someone needs to be thrown under the bus, we're the first first suspect in line.
1: So you critique Mayor Lightfoot and Governor Pritzker for asking you to enforce the stay-at-home order, and you feel that was a step too far because officers were not... I, I want you to fill in uh, that blank there.
2: I, it's a step too far because they didn't have the authority in the Constitution that, or the state Constitution to do such. It's really that simple. People have rights.
1: That's FLP President John Catanzara. Patrick Smith is with us, criminal justice reporter at WBEZ. Patrick, quickly remind us how John Catanzara came to lead the city's police union.
0: Well, as you mentioned, he was recently elected by the 12,000 or so rank-and-file cops that the union represents. He actually won in a runoff with former President Kevin Graham, so it was a close race, no majority in the first round of voting. And it was interesting because when Graham was elected, he he was only in for one term. When he was elected by the union, he was seen as the sort of reactionary, conservative, anti-reform candidate. And then just four years later, he was outflanked to the right and defeated by Katanzara.
1: So when asked if he believes there's an issue with racism in policing in Chicago, Zara gave a firm no. Were you at all surprised by that response?
0: No, I guess I'll give the same uh, firm no. If it had come from someone else, I might have been surprised. But that is the answer I, I would expect from John Catanzara. Um, there are some very prominent voices in policing, current and former officers who who talk about fundamental problems in policing, you know, structural and historic issues that need to be addressed. And often those voices are elevated, but but we're seeing the move uh, in police unions, both here in Chicago and nationally, has been to just flatly reject the premise that there's any fundamental problems and that all of this is, is you know, basically people blowing a few incidents out of proportion.
1: Well, let's talk about the 2017 Department of Justice report on policing in Chicago. Canton Zara says he largely disagrees with its findings. What can you tell us about that?
0: Well, as you mentioned, you know DOJ was here for months and months, um, and, and their ultimate report found a pattern of racist, abusive, and unconstitutional policing by CPD. Um, I've heard the criticism from police that no matter where the DOJ goes, they find the same thing in police departments, and you can kind of, you know, like at, on its face, you can kind of see the logic of what Katnazarov was saying about the people who would take the time to talk to federal investigators would be the people who have complaints not the general public but i've been to a lot of events in black neighborhoods in chicago and interviewed people of color in chicago and, and at these events i'm talking about you know the crowds are we're all older people very much part of the establishment not radicals people you know who are involved in their block club maybe and, and the anger and sadness about police abuse that that i've heard uh, is very real and something that people have had to deal with their whole lives. And, and I don't say that to say that people who are younger are more radical, that their complaints aren't valid. I'm just saying this idea that he's putting forward, that it's just a few people complaining is just ahistorical. It just doesn't fit with, with the reality that I've witnessed in Chicago. And I'd say the DOJ investigators would tell you that while they were here in Chicago, they also spoke to a lot of cops. And that's reflected in the report. You know, There's a lot in the DOJ report on, on Chicago policing that talks about officer mental health and supervision and promotions, the sort of things that officers care about, but that people outside of the department just would not know about.
1: Well, Kat Hanzaro said he's not happy about Chicago police officers having to enforce Illinois' stay-at-home order, says he believes it's unconstitutional. What have the courts ruled?
0: Yeah, you know, there have been a number of legal challenges uh, of the stay-at-home order, and federal courts have upheld it as constitutional even in situations where the orders have restricted religious activity, which is obviously a protected constitutional right, they have upheld that these orders are constitutional. So at least according to federal judges, Catanzara uh, is not correct on that point.
1: We're talking to WBEZ criminal justice reporter Patrick Smith. He's bringing context and analysis to our recent interview with John Cantanzara, the new president of Chicago's police union, the Fraternal Order of Police Lodge 7. I asked Cantanzara to describe what accountability looks like for officers who act outside of the law or department policy. Here's his response.
2: I don't know of another city agency that has the levels of oversight and punishment uh, possibilities that the CPD members face. We have more scrutiny than anybody else in this city, and yet people are still saying there's not enough. We have a collective bargaining agreement that protects our rights to defend our members. And I can tell you firsthand, I don't want to make it about me necessarily, but I've experienced uh, you know, harassment and retaliation from within the ranks of the police department. And if you get on the radar of a boss, he will come after you. And without the union protection, you would be out of a job in a heartbeat. That's the way it used to be.
1: So I should give some context here. Um, You are one of the more frequently disciplined officers in the history of CPD. You're maybe the first police union president ever elected while stripped of his police powers. And you've been disciplined for a number of things, including social media posts that were against departmental policy. So when you say you've experienced retaliation, retaliation for what specifically?
2: For speaking out about the hypocrisy within the upper ranks of the police department. I've been assigned details at emergency rooms where I sat for three months, basically report doing reports for people who would come into Northwestern Hospital. I did 10 reports in three months. It had no valid police purpose other than to punish me and get me off the street because a certain boss wanted to make a point. Um, But if you're but
1: if you're but if you're posting on social media in ways that that are against department policy, why should you not be held accountable for that?
2: Well, I was held accountable. I'm not complaining about the the flag post that you're uh, referring to. You know, it it was basically to challenge to see what would happen and to stand up for what I believe in, because there was an incident a few days before where officers were given a simple reprimand. I wanted to see what was going to happen if I did something similar. And I wanted to see if they were going to treat it any differently.
1: What I hear you saying right now is that you wanted the same process to be applied to you. But circling back to uh, the people you police, we have this this rule about being innocent until proven guilty. And when you talk about people um, complaining about over-policing and saying, well, they must have been criminal in some way to be policed in that way, don't the same rules apply to citizens, that they are innocent until proven guilty? Officers are not the ones who make that decision.
2: Well, Correct. But the innocent till proven guilty also should extend to the members of the police department. And just because someone says a department member did something wrong doesn't mean it's necessarily true. But to go back to your other point about the citizens on the street, I'm referring to people who are now complaining that they were convicted of a crime. You know, one of the the best examples I can use is Sergeant uh, Ronnie Watts, I believe was his name, who was just convicted of robbing drug dealers or whatever in the 2nd District along with two other guys. You know, everybody wants to now claim that they were improperly arrested and everything. Well, that's a simple claim to make now. But you don't have to look too far to understand the dynamic of, you know, police corruption and situations like this. This isn't the first time that a couple of cops decided they were going to start robbing drug dealers of their drugs and money. It sadly happened on a reoccurring theme every 10 or years or so, but you were still breaking the law. They may have broke the law, also, but that didn't make you innocent. But everybody wants to say they were innocent. They were framed. You don't go put drugs you, on somebody but, but, and say, but Tell "Sir, me where I have to stop you because drugs. if
1: you didn't, we cannot make the claim that pe- these people have not been." Um, we, we are not in a position to try those cases right now. Well, they were but, tried, but what, but they, you are they in a the position, tried. and you now we're they're
2: claiming that they were actually innocent. And Kim Fox is vacating all the convictions. That makes absolutely no sense whatsoever.
1: Are there changes in the contract that you would be willing to agree to to ensure that officers who abuse their power are held accountable? There are several clauses in the contract right now that people have questions about. People making complaints must file a sworn affidavit. Their names are turned over to officers they are accusing. Um, Officers are allowed to wait 24 hours before making statements after police involved shootings, and then they can amend those statements after seeing or listening to video or audio evidence. And then police misconduct records are destroyed after five years. Are there any changes in the contract that you think would actually put officers in a better position to hold one another accountable and make sure that officers are living up to the standards that they're supposed to?
2: Well, much of what you just described isn't necessarily even accurate. We'll start with the last one first, and the destruction of records did not occur. It was supposed to occur. It was a contractual right that those were supposed to be destroyed, but the city decided that they were going to keep them. And previous administrations, for whatever reason, didn't verify that they were destroyed. And now it is part of a lawsuit that is still trying to get rid of all of these records back to... 1965, I believe, or 55, I believe, is as far back as some of them go, and they're trying to get those released.
1: So, you do want records destroyed after five years? Absolutely. Misconduct records, specifically.
2: Correct. If you have a not sustained complaint, why should it stay in your file forever? Well, I think well, because
1: officers are held to a standard of accountability, and so that the misconduct can be tracked if necessary. But let's move on
2: well, let's to go back people to your, who your make your complaints about sworn affidavit. About sworn affidavit. You know, let's do the, that the yes. mayor. The mayor's now champion to get rid of that, but she was one of the proponents that wanted it in place when she was the head of IPRA back in the day. So you can't have it both ways. She saw the need and the use for it because it was a way to limit bogus complaints. And now if you're going to take that away, and especially in this environment now where it's very popular, to hate the police, and you're going to keep just making phone call after phone call because you decide you don't like a certain police officer and you get 30 of your friends to make bs complaints on an officer with no protection whatsoever because you're not obligated to swear you're telling the truth no thank you we're not giving that up and i can tell you right now how many people have been prosecuted for filing a complaint that turned out to be bogus do you have that number
1: i i do not have that number what
2: i can tell you it's zero you want to tell me that every complaint that's been filed even if they're turned out and the police officer was exonerated why has nobody been prosecuted for filing false complaints
1: but those complaints are investigated.
2: Are you So, so what is the remedy to that? The sworn affidavit is a violation of state law. If you are swearing something is true and it turns out to not be true, you should be prosecuted. And the state's attorney and the attorney general is not doing that.
1: Okay, Patrick Smith is here with us, WBEZ's criminal justice reporter. Patrick, let's address the police union president's claim that people are filing false allegations against officers they simply don't like. Is there any evidence to support that?
0: Well, I'm sure that that has happened before, but no there there's no evidence that it's widespread. In fact, it's much more likely based on on investigations that it's that abuse is underreported uh, in Chicago or, or you know alleged abuse is underreported in Chicago because it is very hard to file a complaint um, the city has made it easier to sort of start the complaint process you know you can do it online or by phone, but you still if you out in your complaint actually investigated as you mentioned in the interview, you still have to file an affidavit and so besides, you know, that it can't be anonymous and that you have to sign your name to it. You also have to do that in person, go to the office. That takes time. It's not an easy process. It, it's uh, not very likely that people would, would, would be filing a lot of, of false complaints. I, I do just really quickly want to go back to what he was talking about with Sergeant Ronald Watts, who was convicted of uh, essentially extorting drug dealers. I do think it's important to point out he, he's right that a lot of people have had their cases dropped or have been exonerated. Because they were arrested by Sergeant Ronald Watts and his crew, who were found to be doing the, these, you know, who were found to be corrupt. And I think it's a, it's, it's important to note that this is another reason why police abuse and police corru- corruption is a problem. You know, there, there's, there are chances that people who are victims of police abuse are also guilty of the crimes that they are accused of. However, when you have police who are lying or abusing people or torturing people, it spoils the case. You can't you can't prosecute it because of bad actions by police officers. So there's a number of reasons why police corruption is a problem um, beyond just how many people can be harmed by it.
1: How are police misconduct complaints investigated in Chicago?
0: Well, uh, depending on the type of complaint, they're investigated either by the Civilian Office of Police Accountability or by Internal Affairs at CPD, uh COPA, Civilian Office of Police Accountability, they investigate shootings, excessive force, things like that. And one thing that frustrates both officers and the public is that these investigations take a long time. About 40 percent of them take more than a year.
1: Do we know how many complaints are filed each year or how many result in police firings or arrests?
0: Well, last year, there were about 5,400 complaints filed against police officers. Uh, COPA, that agency I mentioned, they completed about 1,600 investigations last year. And in 11 of those cases, they recommended the officer be fired. So that's about half of 1% of all the completed cases last year.
1: Well, let's quickly talk about the police contract. Mayor Lori Lightfoot says it's been a significant challenge to reform. What can you tell us about that?
0: Well, there, there are some major things in there that, that advocates and reformers have pointed out as, as impediments. One of them is the affidavit requirement for uh, complaints, the fact that you cannot make an anonymous complaint. There's also a requirement in the police contract that says when someone makes a complaint against an officer, the officer has to be given that person's name before they're interviewed uh, as part of the investigation. So you can see why people might be wary to, to, fi- to put their names on complaints.
1: We're speaking with WBEZ criminal justice reporter Patrick Smith about a recent interview with John Catanzara. He's the new president of the union that represents 12,000 rank-and-file CPD officers. We talked with Catanzara Tuesday for a little more than 30 minutes. I asked him about the relationship between community and police and what changes officers need to prevent tragedies like what happened to George Floyd. Here's what he had to say about that.
2: I will be the first to admit that we need to do a better job of having conversations with community individuals that can really make a difference. I'm not here to say blankly I'm going to sit down with former gangbangers. Sorry, just not going to do it. Uh, And there's even certain ministers that I think are out propagating themselves and not out for anybody else but themselves that I won't associate with. But I think there are some individual aldermen and obviously religious leaders that we can have a dialogue with and try and figure out ways to change that dynamic. You know one of the best things the mayor did in the last couple of weeks is say that the police weren't coming out of the schools. I know a lot of my members think the police shouldn't be in the schools but as a former school officer I could tell you there is a very valid purpose and it could be a very good thing if the right officers are in schools for the right reasons they can be mentors they can change this dynamic that the police are the boogeyman that everybody likes to portray because accountability personal accountability is a big issue here. A lot of people do not like to look in the mirror and say that I'm the problem. Now, you could say the police are the same way, and in some way, okay, I'll give you that. But I'm talking the average citizen at home. Everybody likes to say it's the police's fault. I didn't do anything. It's the police's fault, which is BS. And it only keeps snowballing downhill, and people start to believe their own BS. Then their kids start to believe their own BS, and it wasn't them. It was the police that did it. No, it was you. You brought this upon yourself, and now you keep propagating this false narrative after generation after generation that the police are the boogeyman, it's not the case. We're going I have to, make to be matters. honest with you, though.
1: I don't. I don't hear. I don't hear people saying police are the boogeyman. What I hear people saying is that they want officers to be held to the same level of accountability that citizens are held to. So when you talk about having conversations with not? with with the community about having conversations with the community, what what do you want to say to the community? What do you want to hear from the community to help policing work better, to help policing be more effective in Chicago?
2: Those are conversations that uh, they are almost going to be fluid. I mean, to have a, a script that I'm going to read off is not genuine. Uh, I'd like to think I'm pretty genuine and I'm going to speak from the heart and off the cuff no matter what I'm doing or where I'm at. So but but like i think I said,
1: this is a moment but i think this is a moment when off the cuff and from the heart while it may have a place we're talking about systemic change we're talking about structural change we're talking about there needing to be a plan in place beyond just talking so when you think about ways to improve the relationship between the police and community What are concrete steps you think officers can take to improve that relationship?
2: Well, I think we absolutely have to be a little more human in our approach. I think one of the things we definitely have a tendency to do is become detached. You know, you you see things, trauma on this job and repetitive things on this job that tend to skew your reality, and I think that definitely over time, develops into a jaded view of the world that sometimes leaks into your approach at work. I think we need to do a better job of eliminating that as best we can. I don't think it ever is going to go away, but... You you, say
1: you don't think it'll ever go away.
2: Not 100%, no. It's not realistic. What
1: do you think could help build that humanity in officers? What are things that you think officers need to aid that process?
2: It's more important to focus on the silent majority that I like to keep harping about. There, there are many people in these communities, the most violent communities in this city, who are prisoners of their own house in some senses because they can't even go out because okay, of I, I wanna, I, going on.
1: I, I want to ask you to pause because something really interesting just happened. You talked about wanting to bring more humanity. You thought more humanity needed to come into the department. You thought officers needed to be less jaded. But then you made a turn to people not being able to leave their houses, and I think even the people who may feel that way, and I'm, I'm not sure that's a silent majority. I, I need to hear from you about what officers can do. What can you, officers do? What officers need? So do, do you what want to answer my own need? questions
2: for me? or Are you going to let me speak? No, no, no. I'm trying, but I'm trying. Well, but I, you I, I just want to an explanation. I was trying to give. Okay, go it ahead. Was, I mean, I think the silent majority needs to speak out and. If they do, and officers see a different version of people who actually support the police, their, their vision of certain neighborhoods in this city might change and not be so jaded. Because when all you're dealing with is gangbangers, drug dealers, ignorant people who swear and throw nasty shit at you, your, your view will become jaded. If you can interact with the other people who you normally don't come in contact with, you may become a little more human. You may become a little more softer and not so jaded, where you deal differently with even the bad elements in a neighborhood. That was my point.
1: But do you think that puts that, that puts the the responsibility for the shift in the relationship on the citizen who... I would argue is in a much less powerful position than an officer who has the force of law behind him or her. And is that really a fair requirement of that citizen or, or should there be something structural that changes in the way police operate that starts to create that bridge that you're talking about?
2: Well, I don't see how you have it both ways. I'm not blaming the silent majority for sitting in their houses and, in part, turning a blind eye. You know, I, I know some feel helpless, and it's pretty violent situations many times where they can't do anything. But their neighborhoods turn that way over time. It didn't. It wasn't a switch that went on, and all of a sudden, three or four areas in this city where the majority of the homicides occur, and it ain't the police committing these homicides? Let's be let's be very clear here. These are you know black on black crimes to be quite frank well before and, you use
1: that term black on black let's be clear that you know when you look at fbi statistics most crimes happen within racial groups so we don't talk about okay, black well, on black crime anymore than we talk about white I'm not, on white we're crime. talking
2: about we, chicago i'm a specifically talking about chicago but
1: that's nationally black on black crime white on white crime we just don't we don't talk about it that way but the majority of homicides crimes happen in within chicago
2: are african american groups. and the majority of the offenders who commit those murders are african american that's just the facts I know people don't like to deal with the facts, but that's exactly what they are. It's not some boogeyman guy. You know, everybody talks about these murderers like they're not their brothers, their sisters, their uncles, their dads, their daughters, their moms. They're in the neighborhoods. That's where these murders are occurring. People aren't coming from out of state to commit murders and run back across the border into Indiana or Ohio. That's not what's happening here. And we need to be very frank and honest about that. Someone's letting these people put their heads down on pillows at night in their houses and looking the other way. And the neighbors, to some degree, have looked the other way too because they don't want to deal with the nonsense occurred. My point is everybody needs to pull this rope if we're going to change the dynamic going forward. It's not just the police department. You're not going to lay this on the backs of the members of the CPD and Lodge 7. The members of the neighborhood need to obviously speak up and start pulling the rope too and start holding their neighbors accountable for the nonsense going on in there.
1: the, the, The issue at hand as president of the Fraternal Order of Police here in Chicago. The piece of this that you have some control over is what happens with the contract. And when we talk to people about why there may be people who aren't willing to testify, there are a lot of things that go into that. Part of it is not trusting that they're going to be protected. Part of it is not trusting police because there's been such a bad relationship historically specifically between black communities and police in Chicago. So I'm going to ask you just again, what are the changes that can happen within the department to help build or rebuild those relationships?
2: As far as discipline, we're not going to give anything up in discipline. I can tell you here, you want to talk about people not coming forward because they're afraid that their information or they will be retaliated against for going, give me a case where that's happened. Where has someone been harassed and t- interrogate or intimidated, or whatever, because they came and spoke about wrongdoing? Do you have an example? I'm,
1: I'm, what I'm saying is that people are re- afraid of retaliation, not necessarily from. Well, give me an officers. example of where it's
2: happened. Well, from who? Sir, there's, there's sir, you're, mis- you're
1: misunderstanding. You're misunderstanding my point. If there is a shooting in the neighborhood and someone witnesses it, there may be reluctance to step forward and say what they saw because there aren't protections in place for them
2: and that's a way to build that bond of trust between the community and the police department but if there's it, been it, such a
1: historically bad relationship between the department and the community but we're how not do talking you rebuild that bad? trust okay. how do you rebuild that trust
2: okay well i guess we're just going to keep saying tomato tomato because i'm trying to give you my explanation and you keep making it sound like it's not a good enough explanation so I don't know where else to go with you with this.
1: That was part of an interview I did with FOP President John Catanzara earlier this week. WBEZ criminal justice reporter Patrick Smith is with us bringing context and analysis to the interview. Patrick, so a a lot in that (laughs) particular exchange, the president of the police union started to acknowledge that officers can do more to improve community police relations. But he also says it's on residents to build or rebuild that trust. What's your reaction to that?
0: um well I think you're right there was some interesting uh insight in in the middle of, of that about of, of uh Katzauer talking about why officers may be jaded and and why they may have a, a particular stance toward the communities that they're supposed to be serving and protecting um beyond that i, I would say that I thought your points in your question about you know police officers being agents of the government being paid by taxpayers and that the onus is on them to, to, um, you know, better interact with, with the people again, that they're supposed to be serving and protecting was right on. And I would just, I would just say, I think his words speak for himself. This is, uh, you know, he was elected by the majority of the rank and file officers who voted in their union election. And, and that, so I think it's fair to say that what he's saying there represents at least what uh, a, a good portion of Chicago police officers feel
1: have we seen any movement um from CPD leadership to to try to improve community police relations in light of recent protests well you know
0: the new police superintendent david brown his whole thing is community policing and and improving relationships between the police and residents um and so even before these protests you know I, i'd say since the protest started he's he's more or less just sort of doubled down on that um, but his whole thing is that there needs to be, you know, more positive interactions between police and young people, and police and and people in the community, and and that the way to reduce violent crime and the way to solve more murders is to, you know, build more trust between police and residents. And he talks about the responsibility of police officers to do that. Uh, so as far as uh, CPD leadership, I think that they at least are are talking the talk about improving relationships with the community as they have for for many years. Um, I, I do think what, what uh, John Catanzara is, say, is saying in this interview makes me wonder whether or not most police officers are actually on board with those efforts.
1: Well, we heard Katanzara praise the mayor for pushing back against calls to remove police officers from school campuses. He's a former school resource officer himself. This is an ongoing conversation in, in Chicago. What's the latest on, on where this issue of removing officers from schools, where does that stand?
0: Yeah, I mean, as you as you mentioned, you know, Mayor Lightfoot has has said we're not doing that. She was she was very blunt and direct in her her answer to that. And I think without her, if she's not on board, I, I don't think there's much hope of that happening at least for right now. I, I don't mean to say that there, I, you know, I don't I don't know what will what will happen. But despite her saying she's not on board, people are still out there protesting and calling for that move. I thought it was interesting that he said a lot of his members would be up for getting out of schools, but that he doesn't support it. And, and I actually think one bit of possible common ground between officers and, and some of the protesters is that many officers that I've spoken to would love it if the responsibility for things like school s- security and responding to mental health calls, those sorts of things were given to other agencies. So I don't think you're going to see any officers holding a banner that says defund the police. But I think some of the ideas of, hey, not not everything is is meant for police intervention i think there actually are a lot of officers who would agree with that uh so i think it's interesting that that Catanzara, at least in this interview you know did not seem to to embrace any of those ideas
1: That's WBEZ criminal justice reporter Patrick Smith breaking down our recent interview with John Catanzara. Catanzara is the new president of the union that represents 12,000 rank-and-file Chicago police officers. We talked with him Tuesday for a little more than 30 minutes. I have one final section of our interview that I'd like to play. I asked Catanzara about the status of police contract negotiations. The FOP has been without a contract since July 2017. Listed. Let's take a listen.
2: I just came into office a month ago with my team and clearly we're in the middle of a pandemic and a riot so contract negotiations have really not even begun there's only been a couple cursory conversations and that's it
1: well mayor lightfoot says she plans to implement a series of police reforms within 90 days among the changes crisis intervention training for police officers an officer wellness program new programs that emphasize the importance of police community relations your thoughts about these changes over the next 90 days
2: those are all training related Changes, uh, we have no problem with training-related changes. I actually told the mayor to her face, I am, the CIT, the crisis intervention training, is absolutely the best training I've ever received on this job in 25 years. It's a 40-hour course, and not everybody gets it, which, to me, it should be taught at the academy at a 40-hour level. I understand that they are only getting eight hours, a one-day course instead of the full five days. It is a valuable tool to have when you're on the streets and you're dealing especially with people with Uh, mental crises or emotional crises. It definitely helps defuse the situation.
1: Well, as we head into the summer months, what are your thoughts about how CPD leadership can best approach the mental health of officers to help fight burnout and trauma within the ranks?
2: Well, i kind of explained this to Superintendent Brown and others within the ranks. I think (laughs) we're off to a very bad start. It started with, obviously, uncontrollable events, You know, this all kicked off because of something that happened in Minnesota, and unfortunately, our members and all the citizens of this city were put in jeopardy by uh, a few thousand criminals who decided they were going to take advantage of a situation and destroy various parts of this city. But that also falls on the mayor and the superintendent and the poor planning for what was coming down the road and not being prepared for it or being afraid to be too forceful to stop it. But... As far as the mental health aspect, clearly these 12-hour days and no days off I understand is coming to an end here very shortly. But there's bigger stressors for the police. There seems to be a new policy now of stripping police powers randomly for the most minor infractions that has never been a strippable offense in the past. What the do you consider a minor infraction? the Can guideline you give me has an always been, you would be stripped of your police powers if whatever you're accused of would lead to your firing or to criminal charges, and that's not happening now. It's arbitrary for every single thing, and specifically, the officer who just gave the finger out of frustration and lack of sleep and everything else, uh, a sheer moment of a bad decision of you know giving the middle finger to someone who he just had enough for that day after the mayor told the President of the United States, F you, and I'm still waiting for her resignation because she says he shouldn't be the police. Well, then she shouldn't be the mayor. I'll be more than happy to draft the resignation letter. All she needs is her signature on there. But I'll be damned there's no reason for that member to be stripped of his police powers for flipping the bird to somebody. That is absolutely inexcusable, and those kind of things only add more stress to not only the officer infected but the troop morale overall, that this is now going to be the new level of punishment of just making policemen's lives miserable by taking away their police powers over nonsense
1: how would you describe morale overall right now in the department
2: well i can tell you i think it's steadily declined for quite a long time you know lodge seven now is trying to do its best to provide customer service to its members on a whole different level and know let them know that there's a whole level of support that had not previously been here i hope that i'm providing a voice for the members that has never been presented before and i will continue to do such I will fight in the most visible and loud ways necessary to make sure our members are protected every day, no matter what. Uh, And I hope that that helps increase morale, at least from our point of view. Um, If we get a contract, I think that would absolutely, a fair contract, let me (laughs) qualify that, it would definitely go a long way to boost morale a little bit more.
1: That was John Catanzara, the new president of the Fraternal Order of Police Lodge 7. Patrick Smith, WBEZ criminal justice reporter, is here with us to bring analysis to the conversation. And Patrick, let's start with the incident you heard John Catanzaro refer to there about the officer who was captured on film, um, flipping protesters off. Uh, Explain a little bit about what happened in that situation and and how that officer has been disciplined.
0: Well, so um, this was an incident where a photographer um, for Block Club Chicago actually captured a police officer on a bus. Um, giving kind of flipping the double bird, giving two middle fingers to protesters as, as they drove past. Uh, Block Club reported that he was essentially responding to a protester who flipped off the the police the police officers. Um, and and Mayor Lori Lightfoot said that he should be fired. He hasn't been technically punished yet. He's been put on desk duty essentially while they're investigating the incident. Uh, Superintendent David Brown said it was conduct unbecoming. I'm not sure what, uh, I can't say offhand what kind, of, what kind of punishment he could ultimately be facing for that.
1: So let's talk about the mayor's plan for police reform. She says she wants to implement changes within 90 days. Talk about some of the changes and whether that's feasible. Well,
0: I think it should be feasible because... The changes aren't particularly ambitious. Um, A lot of them are uh, training-focused, increase in community, more and and better community-oriented training for officers. Expanded crisis intervention training, which which you heard and Zara talking about, you know that's that's training that's that's supposed to help officers sort of de-escalate situations where someone is is suffering uh, from a mental health crisis, and better officer wellness support, you know, mental health support for officers. And I thought it was it was great that you asked him about morale and also about police mental health. These are all things that the department should be able to do unilaterally, and, and honestly, it would be a real failure if they're not able to get them done.
1: How are rank-and-file officers responding to these reforms?
0: I, I haven't heard any outcry against those particular reforms. I've heard some complaints about the community, community-oriented community policing. I think it might have even been Katanzara who talked about uh, not liking the idea of, of community members coming into the police academy to do training because that's training, you know, they should be getting sort of, um, you know, professional training on, on police tactics and that sort of thing. But overall, you know, police officers, for the most part, throughout all this, have not been against more training. They certainly aren't against better support for, for officers who need help, mental health help. So, so there's not, to my knowledge, there's not been much outcry about what Mayor Lightfoot uh, is proposing
1: here. So we have this police contract uh, that they've been without a contract since July 2017. What do we know about the timeline at this point?
0: Well, uh, the last, you know, so what would happen if they're not able to reach an agreement is they would go to arbitration. The last time the city and the union went to arbitration was in 2010, and it had been about three years between the expiration of the contract and then the the, the arbitration. As you mentioned, we're almost at three years now since the last contract expired. Um, However, with new leadership, it's possible the timeline will be extended to allow for for Katanzara and his and the other people with him to engage in sort of good faith negotiations with the city. So I can't say for sure when when we could get to arbitration or, or you know, hopefully if they I don't know, hopefully for for the members in the city that they reach a contract.
1: So I'm sure as you were listening to that conversation, as someone who covers criminal justice in Chicago, it's clear that there is a lot of distance between John Catanzara's uh, perspective on what needs to happen in policing and what we're hearing from people, from protesters, from organizers, um, what we've been hearing from from them for a long time, but particularly in the last couple of weeks. How would you describe that gap?
0: It seems to me the gap is maybe wider than it's been in a long time. Maybe, you know, it's been since I started reporting. Um, As I mentioned, you know, I think Union elections are only one thing, and, and I, I, you know, try to talk to rank and file officers as well to to see what they're feeling. Um, and I think that that you know, as we've seen, the protests have, have become more vocal. People are pushing for more radical changes than they they have in the past. I should say, more people are pushing for more radical changes than they have in the past. And at the same time, the city's rank and file, uh, at least with with the choices that they've made for who who to represent them, seem to be going farther away from any sort of reform at all it does not seem like we're moving toward um toward any sort of middle ground and i'm not saying the middle ground is what we should be getting at but just sort of diagnosing where the two sides are i see them as as very far apart i I am interested to see if if ongoing protests push mayor lightfoot in the city to to try to seek more dramatic changes than what they've announced so far because if that happens it seems like that will put them even in more opposition with with rank-and-file officers
1: that's WBEZ criminal justice reporter Patrick Smith. Patrick, thank you so much. Thank you. And that's today's Reset. Join us again tomorrow for our Friday News Roundup featuring the biggest local and state stories of the week. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And let's talk again soon.